Hey, it's Kathy. I just want to let you know that I'm doing a free five-day workshop. It's called the Abundance Activation Challenge, and it starts today. And it's not too late for you to join us. Today is the last day to join. Go to kathyheller.com slash five day to sign up. The pre-party has been happening and it's been such a blast. There's so many high vibe women in there who are ready to call in more abundance. I know that you will love that you showed up for this. I'll be live at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern every day this week, teaching you how to become a master manifester. You are just going to have the best time. If you want to join us, sign up at kathyheller.com slash five day. Each of us has the spark within us if we choose to nourish it, that will take us into a whole new version of our lives. I believe that the opposite of depression, it's not happiness, it's purpose. I believe that every single person has something unique to contribute to the world. And that's why I wanted to create a show called Don't Keep Your Day Job. Don't Keep Your Day Job is about figuring out what it is that you were here to do in this world that only you can do to make the world more whole, more beautiful, and to stop selling yourself short, and to stop sitting it out, and to figure out how to take this thing you love, whether it's art or music or screenwriting or dance or baking, and how do you weave this thing that you love into a life that you get to contribute, that you get to do what you love full time, because it's not just about business. It's about contribution. It's about meaning. That is what we seek. That is what we truly want. And you absolutely are here to serve the world. And I want to help you figure out just how much value you have inside of you. And every single week, we're going to be talking to people who have something to add to help you get out of your own way, to help you be more successful, to help you be the truest expression of you. My name is Kathy Heller. I'm so glad that you're here. Let's dive in. Thanks to Skillshare for supporting Don't Keep Your Day Job. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for free at Skillshare.com slash dreamjob. Also, thanks to Everlane. With Everlane, you never overpay for quality clothes. And right now, you can check out our personalized collection at Everlane.com slash dreamjob. Plus, you'll get free shipping on your first order. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. So I'm in Nashville for a few days and it was just so nice to do this event with my good friend Jeff Goins last night and to get to meet so many of you who came out. It was a sold out event and there was about a hundred people there and I just want to do so much more of that. So stay tuned as we will continue to add more speaking events, more book signings on the books. And um, it's the beginning of December. We've got one more month left of this year, of this decade. And I posted on Instagram yesterday, Dear December, turn her dreams into plans, her can'ts into cans, her confusion into clarity, and her burdens into blessings. There's a repost from another great account, her incredible mindset. And um, really, truly, I want you this month to think about prioritizing your own healing, having compassion for yourself. Remember that they don't all have to like you. Just let the magic that's within you lift you up and allow for that rising. You have totally got this. And that's why I'm so excited about today's episode because the person that we have here today is such a deep soul and his work has really, truly impacted my life. You might know his book, The Big Leap, and there's been several other bestsellers, but that book was a game changer for me. Actually, my friend Orit, who I mentioned last week, who took me rock climbing, she's the one who first told me what it meant to have an upper limit. And I've talked before on this show about how very often we have a ceiling for what we believe is possible, for what we believe we can do. We have a set of limitations and fears. And Gay Hendricks, who is here today, is absolutely brilliant. He is so phenomenal. And his work will deeply impact you. So I am so excited to dive in. He's the best-selling author of over 40 books, including The Big Leap, Conquer Your Hidden Fear, and Take Life to the Next Level. He was a professor of counseling psychology for 21 years. He worked at Stanford. He then founded the Hendricks Institute and has been a leader in relationship transformation and body-mind therapies for more than 45 years. He has trained thousands of coaches, hosted seminars around the globe, appeared on over 500 radio and television shows, including Oprah, CNN, CNBC, 48 Hours, and many, many more. And on top of all of that, he is truly one of the kindest, most real people I've had the pleasure of talking to. It was just such an honor 
to spend this time with him. And if you guys want to check out the full video interview, you can find the link in the show notes as well. Without further ado, please welcome the very wise, very generous Gay Hendricks. Oh my God. To talk to you, I'm very, very, very excited to have you here. So thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Thank you very much. You know, when somebody can help you see the world in a way that you didn't see it before, it is the greatest gift. And you've done that for me personally. Thank you. I appreciate that. That was my high intent. So I'm glad that uh, happened for you. Ah, it's so important. Okay. So let's talk about you and let's talk about how you even came to the big leap. It started with a personal experience about 30 years ago, probably way before you were born. Um, (laughs) And my daughter at the time was going to camp for the first time. Uh, She was going to a sleepaway camp and she was only about six years old. And, uh, but she was very excited to go to the sleepaway camp for three days. And it was the first time she'd been away from me for that long. I was a single parent at the time. And so I um, was a little nervous about it. But anyway, she went off to camp very happily and everything. And the later on in the morning, I started having thoughts, oh, no, Amanda's going to be lonely. She's not going to know any of the other kids. And uh, she'll be, I think I was projecting some of my own camp experience onto her when I was shipped off to camp (laughs) when I was a kid. So anyway, I called the um, camp and talked to the director and I said, hey, I was just a little concerned. I wanted to make sure Amanda's doing okay. And uh, she kind of chuckled and said Amanda was doing just fine. She was out playing soccer because she could see her out the window and she was out kicking a soccer ball around with other kids. And so it realized I didn't really have anything to worry about. The worry thought I had manufactured had absolutely nothing to do with my daughter. Okay, so I internally generated a fear. So I was thinking later, why did I do that? And as I was tracing it back, I realized I was feeling so good about something else that I just dialed up a worry thought about my daughter and brought myself back down. And I began to wonder, why would I do that? Because I was feeling really good. I just come back from having a meeting with a friend of mine, and we were both talking about our research we were doing. Anyway, to make a long story short, I realized I had this habit when I would get to doing something or feeling good, I would create some worry thought or do something to bring myself back down again. And I started asking other people, do you ever do that? And everybody else I talked to said, yeah, I do that. And that's when I started thinking, it's like we have an upper limit on how much good feeling we can feel. And when we get to that too much good feeling place, we do something to knock ourselves back down. And I was really so excited about this discovery because I started applying it to every part of my life. So I started looking at this, and at the time, I was working with a lot of Silicon Valley executives. It was in the early days of Silicon Valley, and I was there at Stanford. And so I was working with a lot of really bright people from places like Hewlett-Packard and all of those kinds of places. And I started asking these very bright executives if they ever did things like that. And they said, yeah. And so I began to think of it as a universal phenomenon. And of course, now I've made 30-some trips around the world teaching workshops, and I found it's everywhere. It's not just in Silicon Valley. It's in everywhere you can think of. So we all have this tendency to upper limit ourselves about how much good feeling we can have and how much contribution we can make. And as I began to work with this, I determined that there were certain fears that we had that almost everybody carries around that flare up when we start doing better and feeling better about ourselves. It excites those old fears. And that's when we bring ourselves back down. Amazing. Tell us about those fears. Well, first of all, there are four big ones. And we all have some of these. Not everybody has all four. The first and by far the biggest one is that many of us carrying around a feeling of being fundamentally wrong or bad for some reason. We feel guilty about something. And when we start doing better in the world, it clashes with that belief. Oh, I'm not supposed to have good things happen to me. Mm. And so we find some way to sabotage it and knock ourselves back down. A second really big fear, that's the fear of outshining other people. A lot of us carry around a fear from childhood that we're not supposed to shine, you know, that other people are supposed to shine, but not us. And so when we start to shine, we think, oh, 
I'm not supposed to do this, and we find ourselves knocked back down. A third one, which is really important, is a lot of us have a feeling that we're a burden in the world. And then how can I be more successful? I'll just be a bigger burden in the Mm -hmm. world. Uh, The other one that I want to mention, too, because so many people have it, is a fear that if they really allow themselves to be successful and feel good and shine in the world, it will somehow be disloyal to people in their past, people that were there for them earlier on. Yeah. And so those are fears that a lot of us carry around. And some of us have one or the other. Most of us don't have all four, but one is enough to cause us to do crippling things to ourselves when we start shining more. Yeah, absolutely. And and your book, it's healing. Everyone who's listening right now, like this is a book you have to read. And I've talked about it before because it's meant so much to me, but if you haven't yet bought it, really and truly it's a gift. And early on in the book, you asked this question, you know, what if you could be happy all the time? Like A, do you believe it's possible? And B, would you even want that? Can you explain why you pose the question like that? Well, because everything that's of value that you create for yourself involves commitment. You know, if you're in a relationship, I've had couples in here that have been married for 20 or 30 years, but have really never made a deep commitment to each other. They were there in the body, but not really in the spirit. And so the same thing with your own transformation toward your, your big flowering, your leap into genius that I talk about in the big leap. A lot of us try to do that without really making a sincere mind, body, spirit commitment. And it takes a sincere commitment in order to bring forth the kinds of things I'm talking about. So I ask people, are you willing to feel good all the time? And quite frankly, 90% of people say, oh, I don't think that's possible. I say, okay, would you be willing to feel good 50% of the time? And Sometimes I have to start with 10% of the time. It's such a brilliant question. Would you be willing to feel good? And it's almost like, wow, you're asking me to get out of my comfort zone. And I'm almost wanting to tell you, no, I don't want to feel good most of it. It's like, what are we doing to ourselves? And we live this way all the time. This is what you figured out. It's so brilliant. So when you say it takes a commitment to feel good all the time, what does that mean? What would you have to commit to do? Well, I have people make a simple commitment first. Like I commit to feeling good at least 50% of the time or I commit to spending at least 10% of my time on the genius spiral. I used to call it the zone of genius. I don't call it the zone of genius anymore. I call it the genius spiral because a spiral is open-ended. A zone is still a little compressed. And so I got rid of that language. But I think that what it's referring to is the fact that each of us has the spark within us if we choose to nourish it, that will take us into a whole new version of our lives. And now I've seen it so many times, you know, I kind of, for the last 35 years, I've, I've been on the front lines and watching people really develop their potential. You know, it, I take it for granted that we all have this incredible genius within us. What do you say to people when they're like, I can't feel good all the time. You don't understand. I'm in a bad relationship. I don't like the way I look. I, that's what comes up. And, and I know that you have so much to say around that. Yes. Well, I think everybody has a stack of beliefs about why they can't, you know, whatever it is. Like right now, I weigh 180 pounds. When I first woke up to all this, I weighed 300 pounds. So I was my own best customer, first of all. And so I used it to transform my own life. But you can use it. Anyone can use the ideas to transform any area of life. All you have to do is get good at what I call Hendrick's aerobics, which instead of pointing at the world and saying, why are you doing it to me? Why can't I have what I want? You go like this and go, hmm, I wonder what I want and what I could really commit to being in my life. Hmm. So you go from this, what's wrong with the world or what's wrong with me to hmm, what do I wish to become? How do I want it to be? And once I started asking questions like that, my life just went whoosh. And so, you know, I I always say that human beings are only one breath away from changing their lives because many of us kind of hold our breath a little bit instead of 
Yeah. What would I like to be? Yeah. What would I like to contribute? Yep. And speaking of breath, can you explain? I love how you talk about how there's a very subtle difference between anxiety and excitement in your breath. Do you want to explain that? Oh, yes. Well, one of the uh, elders of the transformation field, Fritz Perls, MD, who was a great psychiatrist when I was coming along, and he had this phrase, fear is excitement without the breath. Yeah. What did he mean by that? Well, he means that when we're scared, yep. it's the same mechanism that if we were to participate with it is excitement. But if we go, <gasps> like Sophocles says, when you're scared, everything rustles. When you're scared, everything looks scary out there. And so what we mean is that to transform your fear, transform your breathing. Begin to breathe when you feel scared, not hold your breath when you feel scared. It's so brilliant because it's so true. It's like you realize, oh, when I'm afraid, I'm not breathing. And if I could just breathe into it, maybe on the other side of what I'm scared of is something I'm actually really excited about doing because it's going to break me out of this paradigm where I have this ceiling. And I feel like people argue for their upper limit. They argue for their limitations. You know, talk to somebody and say, you should do that because, and they'll say, no, I'm not good enough. You should do that. No, I can't. I don't, they're like arguing for the upper limit. So how do we break through it? How do we push that the ceiling becomes our floor? The first thing is to commit to whatever you want to be and see in the world. So that's number one. That only takes 10 seconds. I love you know, it. Me, 10 seconds. Yeah. yeah. For me, it was um, when I lost all that weight, I had this enlightenment moment where I realized, wait a minute. The fact that I'm fat is simply because I have some genetics. My father was very obese and that kind of thing. So I've got some problem genetics, but I've also got some bad habits. And so I changed my life entirely. For one year of my life, I ate only things I had never eaten before. I figured everything that I'd eaten up until now made me fat. So I'm going to just eat everything else. And so Smart. I discovered these things called fruits and vegetables, <laughs> right. for example. And so I discovered a whole different way of being in the world. And within a year, I lost more than 100 pounds. Oh, my and God. Gradually transformed the rest of me by, you know, working out and things like so that. So you're saying make a commitment, Commit right? first, yes. Commit. Make a commitment to what you want to be or what you want to see. And so I committed myself to five things that I wanted for my life. In fact, I'd like everybody, if you haven't done this yet, as soon as you get through listening to this, get a quiet place and sit down and make out the top three to five things you want to accomplish during your time here on earth. For me, when I did this, number one was to create a loving relationship with a woman with whom I could grow and change over the years. I wanted to have a successful long-term relationship. At the time, I didn't have it. Now, I'm happy to say I just had my 38th wedding anniversary oh, with my beloved so Katie. And uh, so my number one wish has come true and is still coming true today. Number two, I wanted to learn how to live in a state of completion with people in my life. I wanted to feel like I wasn't always running away from things, you know, like things I I love that. Yeah. Hadn't told people like, you know, I just wanted to be complete wherever I showed up in the world. Uh, number three, I wanted to learn how to write in a way where I could really share my own experience. See, when I first discovered all this, I was an academic. I was used to writing journal articles about research, and I hadn't ever given myself permission to trust my own experience. And so that mm. was a big one. Another one that I really want and still am working on is that I want to have an experiential understanding of what life on earth is really about. You know, I really want to understand the creator force in the world, what some people call God or spirit. You know, I want to understand that. I want to feel how that works. So that was number four. Number five, which I'm also still working on, is I want to savor my life. I don't just want to go through the motions. I want to be here for every mm. moment. And so those were the five things that I put on my commitment so beautiful. list. And, They've all come true now, but wherever you are, stop and do that. That's so beautiful. I think that what I've seen in the work I've been doing is there's a feeling of shame around who am I to have what I want. We don't feel deserving of it. It brings tears to my eyes. Um, either 
either we somehow got that message as a child that we're not worthy of it, or what our parents modeled for us is that they didn't feel worthy of it. How do we help people have more of a sense of self-worth? Well, it's so important what you said, because many of us go through life so compressed that we don't even get to answer or ask the big questions of life. We get living in this small container. And it's heartbreaking, but I'll tell you, if each of us looks inside ourselves, I bet you can still find a little place inside yourself where we're all still doing that. So it's important to have compassion for ourselves. You know, we can't beat up on ourselves like we used to. You know, you mentioned something about childhood. A lot of people blame their parents for things like this, but I want to have everybody remove that particular piece of software from their heads, the blame uh, software, because what we really need to do is embrace our background. Many of us were programmed more by our brothers and sisters than by our parents. And our parents, remember, were programmed by their brothers and sisters and their parents. And so the way we put it in our seminars, we say from the moment you take your first conscious breath, Hmm, what am I doing here? What do I want to be? Who do I want to be on this planet? From the moment you take your first conscious breath, you need to embrace three generations of influence on yourself because it's parents, it's grandparents, it's their brothers, it's their siblings. And for me, I grew up in a particular kind of wild and crazy family down in the South where everybody was, you know, a lot of them were brilliant, but a lot of them had so many problems. They just couldn't relate to the world successfully. And so I think each of us, no matter what particular kind of drama we were born into, there was always for each of us a party that was going on that we got born into. And it had certain rules and regulations and ways they did things. And by the time we kind of wake up, a lot of time we've been enculturated into that type of thinking. And so the important thing to realize is that each of us carries around inside us the absolute means of our liberation and the absolute means of our imprisonment. And it all happens between our ears. The value of things like the Big Leap or other books like that that help you open a new door is that once you've got that door opened, you can't close it again. You know, once you've realized, oh, I see I'm upper limiting myself. Wow. Then you begin to see it everywhere. And that's a good thing. Um, As long as you maintain compassion for yourself. The reason I wrote my book, Learning to Love Yourself, I wrote it the summer I met my wife. I was so much in love that summer. And I also realized there was so much about myself. I still hadn't learned to love in myself. And I realized there's no way I'm really going to be able to love Katie unless I really learn to love myself. And I started making notes on that. And that became learning to love yourself. It's amazing. And you're so humble. You're like, if you read the big leap or books like it, it's like, no, we can just, you're, you're so humble. And it's so true. Everything you just said is so true. Okay. I love everything you're saying, but before we go on, we're just going to thank our sponsors. I'm always seeking new ways to grow, to break through my upper limit of what I think I can do. And that's why I love Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of amazing classes covering dozens of creative and entrepreneurial skills from photography to creative writing to design, productivity, and more. It's the perfect place for the creator in all of us. Get inspired, join a class, and create something you'll love. I especially love their productivity classes because I'm always looking for ways to be more efficient with my time. They even have a class on email productivity, which is really helpful because my inbox can be such a mess. I also think it's really cool that their classes are on demand, so I don't have to set aside a huge chunk of time to those videos. I can learn at my own pace and on my own schedule. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare and get two months free when you sign up at Skillshare.com slash dreamjob. That's two months of unlimited access to thousands of classes for free. Go to Skillshare.com slash dreamjob to sign up. That's Skillshare.com slash dreamjob. Would you buy a t-shirt for $50 if you knew it only cost $7 to make? Probably not. With Everlane, you never overpay for quality clothes. Everlane makes premium essentials with the finest materials without traditional markups. They're so transparent about their process from the materials they use to the ethical factories they work with, and they tell you the real cost so you understand what you're paying for and why. And because Everlane sells directly to you, their prices are 30 to 50% lower than traditional retailers. 
Their clothes look better, cost less, and last longer. Their essentials, like the Cotton Crew t-shirt, are exactly what they should be. Versatile, simple, stylish, and made from quality materials. Lately, I've actually been getting a little chilly in LA, so I've been wearing their Renew Bomber jacket, which keeps me super warm, and it's also made from recycled water bottles. How cool is that? I also love their cotton basic t-shirts and cashmere tops. They're super soft and comfy, and you can tell that it's made from really high quality, so I love that these will last me a really long time. And right now, you can check out our personalized collection at everlane.com slash dreamjob, plus you'll get free shipping on your first order. That's everlane.com slash dreamjob, everlane.com slash dreamjob. Could you give a couple of the examples for those of you who haven't yet read the book? I know you're all going to go read it. Um... You talk about Bonnie Raitt in your book. You also talk about Michael Dell. Do you mind giving a couple of those examples? I'd love to. Bonnie's a wonderful human being, by the way. Many people know that Bonnie was um, at one point struggled with drink and drugs and things like that. Mm -hmm. So that's widely known. What a lot of people don't realize is that she developed this new vision of herself. She actually saw herself in a certain, wearing a certain dress, receiving the Grammys. Now, I believe she's won 19 Grammys yep. last time yep. I talked to her, something <laughs> like that. Uh, so the first one, though, had to do with a particular breakthrough where she suddenly saw herself receiving the appreciation of her peers. And she developed a specific vision of that. But in that original breakthrough, it was that seeing herself in a new way and seeing herself outside of that old box that she had seen herself in. And same thing with Michael Dell, too, now that I think about it. It's always this one little moment of thinking up something different about how they could be. You know, for him, he was a uh, freshman or sophomore at uh, University of Texas, and he had lots of friends who were engineers, but he had this moment of thinking, wow, if you go into a computer store You know, you get a certain type of service, but what if I were to hook up people talking to people here in my dorm that really know computers? You wouldn't even have to go into a store. We could sell computers directly to them. Bong. And so he went and borrowed, I believe, $1,000 from his parents to uh, do this. And uh, the next thing you know, he's uh, worth a bunch of billion dollars. So uh, I can also say just Bonnie and Michael that they are absolutely exemplary human beings. Well, I'm sure they feel the same way about you. And you wrote about both of them in the book. And I just thought it was fascinating because they're both household names in their own industries, but nobody ever really understood. They're just good examples of people who struggled and look what happened on the other side of it. So what would you say is what made that transformation possible? Was it seeing who they could be and then committing to be the kind of person who would be in that vision? Is that how you would say it? Yes, I think that's a good way to say it. I I, I think another way to say it is that in each of their cases, and, you know, I've seen it thousands of times now, what they were willing to do was be open to learning. They were able to over and over again, open themselves to learning Mm. and not thinking the usual old way. Yeah. In fact, uh, in our seminars, we actually have a whole scale we pass out for people to grade themselves on their openness to learning, because that's such a critical factor. Like with, with Michael Dell, I can remember how eager he was to learn things. Like I would bring up complicated things about humans and him and everything, but he was never resistant to it. He was always, hmm, what can I learn? Hmm, what can I get my head around? And exactly the same thing with Bonnie Raitt. You'll never meet a person who's more open to learning and does things all the time, you know, transformational things. And so it's, um, I think that openness to learning, being willing to kind of learn from all of life, not just learn in a particular narrow way. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the zone of excellence and what you now call the spiral of genius. Let's explain what that paradigm is and how we can sort of keep elevating ourselves. For a long time, I played with this idea. How do I spend my time? And I finally realized I spend my time in one of four zones. Sometimes I'm doing things I'm absolutely no good at. I call that the zone of incompetence. (laughs) Classic example I give in the book is the day I was standing in the post office line and there was about 15 people ahead of me and there was one clerk up there. And we were there for minutes and minutes and minutes. Finally, after about 15 minutes, I started realizing, wow, When I'm coaching executives, I earn $1,000 an hour. 
I'd been there 15 minutes. So I've, I've got a $250 investment in mailing a box. And that was the last time I've ever stood in a post office line. Yep. So um, we've got to figure out what we're doing that we're absolutely incompetent at and find somebody else to do that. Delegate, delegate, delegate. Second thing is the zone of competence where you're doing things that you're good at, but somebody else could do just as well. And so I mapped out a whole bunch of time that I was spending in the zone of competence and a bunch of people I was spending time with in that zone. So again, delegate, find some other way to get it done. The third zone is a real challenge because if you get stuck in your zone of excellence, what happens is people want you to do more and more and more of the things that you're excellent at. And particularly, they don't want you to do what you're a genius at because that takes your time away from what they're relying on in your zone of excellence. I've probably had 400 doctors and lawyers pass through this very room over the years where they've said some version of this and they've all been maybe age 40, 45. They'll say something like, I'm making great money. I make my half a million dollars a year. My kids love it. They love their private schools. They love going to Aspen. But I feel like if I'm doing this much longer, I'm going to kill myself. So there comes a moment when you're operating in your zone of excellence where you realize, wait a minute, I'm not touching who I really am. So we say you don't need to run off and meditate in a cave in Tibet or paddle your canoe off to Tahiti or anything like that. Just start with 10 minutes a day on the genius spiral. And you will find that genius is the greatest positive addiction of all. Because once you start opening up to your genius, even for 10 minutes, you start working on this genius spiral that doesn't have any upper limit to it. The day my wife and I got married 38 years ago, we were on a mountaintop and we were delivering our vows to each other, these vows that we had written. And Katie suddenly said, oh, look up. And there was this beautiful, magnificent hawk circling around in a spiral. And that's where I first kind of got that idea of a spiral because the next magical thing that was happening we went back to delivering our vows to each other. And when we were getting close to the end, I looked up again and I said, oh, look, now there was two. There was a couple. And Beautiful. they were both flying around together in this circle. And so that became the definition of our lives, that we always wanted to keep going further and further up that spiral like those two magnificent hawks did. It's absolutely extraordinary. And for so many people listening, this is so huge and it opens the door to everything because for so long we have been told get a job get health insurance and sit there and you can watch netflix when you get home and when you retire you can do things that make you happy and that paradigm it's a very old paradigm that everybody knows and it's fascinating to me how often i will ask people well do you ever question that that's the only way like could there be any other way for you to show up in the world like could you maybe start your own business or would it be possible it doesn't even seem like that's a conversation that they're having with themselves. And it seems like you contend that every single one of you, it's very spiritual. It's like every single one of us has something truly brilliant that is, is genius to share with the world. Do you believe that every person has that? I do. And I have a lot of evidence for that too, because I bet I've heard 10,000 people say, I don't have a genius. And then they discover it. It's not that hard if you ask yourself the right questions. And you also need to follow it up with a little bit of what I would call benign discipline. For example, here's something that everybody listening to this could do today. We have people, when they come here and have a day of consulting with us, this is one of the first things we have them do. We ask them to go in a room by themselves for 10 minutes, okay? No longer than 10 minutes. And just sit quietly, eyes open or closed, and ask themselves over and over again, hmm, what is my genius? And hmm, what do I love to do more than anything in the world? And hmm, what do I do that when I do it, I lose track of time? These are the questions that I suggest that people ask themselves in the big leap that are genius questions. Because if you can find what you most love to do and even look back into childhood and say, what did I most love to do? You'll often find hints that will help you discover your genius right now, even 75 years later. 
That's so true. And as you say it, I know that even people who feel like there's nothing there, as soon as they ask themselves that question, an answer is going to come. And you're going to say, well, the answer to that question he just asked is the thing that I could do for hours and hours, hours is play violin or yeah. I mean, the answer to that question is the thing I've always loved to do was, you know, gather people together and share stories or whatever it is. But then the next question that's going to come up, which in comes the upper limit is, but there's no way that that's practical. There's no way that there, I could actually do it. What do you believe is the way through to being able to then do that? The first thing you mentioned is that you have to surface your butts. In other words, what are the butts that are in my way? I do this, but I can't because I'm in a, this job, or I'd love to do this, but I can't because I have to provide for the kids. And so you have to first get your butts out of the way, you know, to find out what those butts are that uh, are holding you back. Commitment, though, is always the answer because you see, once you commit to something, the universe rearranges itself so that it accommodates this new thing that you want. Like there was, when I weighed 320 pounds, there was really no way to visualize what I would look like today, but I was able to say, okay, I commit to this and let that find the way. It's huge because it sounds like what you're saying is then when you just like commit, to going into that spiral, it's like it'll unfold. Yes. That's huge because what you're you, saying is you don't need someone to give you 15 steps. That's not what's in the way. It's not the right. practical how. Is that what you're saying? That's huge. Yeah, it is huge. And I absolutely mean it. And you will discover it. Everyone will discover it to be true once they start experimenting with that. Uh, there's a wonderful quotation uh, I have from um, Franz Kafka who says, Be absolutely still, don't do anything sit in a room by yourself and do absolutely nothing. He says, the universe will roll in ecstasy at your feet. It has no choice. And so what he's getting at there is instead of doing, 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 doing all the time, to open up your capacity for receiving more. It's such a huge thing because most of us are conditioned always to be in doing mode and we don't give ourselves much permission to be in being, receiving mode. And I think that's the important thing that many of us need to work on because many of us are doers, 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 and yet we haven't opened up our receiver wide enough. As a matter of fact, the, uh, my next book uh, in the spring is all about that subject. I'll come back and talk to you about it, I promise. I cannot wait. I hope that you do. It's interesting what you're saying because so often people who come on this show will say massive action. You have to take massive action. But you're saying if we sort of sit back, balance your doing, balance your doing balance with it. being. Balance yeah, it. Yeah, balance it because if you go boing, boing, boing all the time, you're not yep. taking advantage of the deep, deep, deep connection that we need to make through yep. things like meditation and you know, that's an important thing too, by the way. I learned to meditate in 1972, I believe, and I haven't missed a day since. And that kind of bookends my day in a state of being before I get into doing, doing, doing. That's amazing. I feel like so many people who are listening right now would say, you know, that thing that you said before, which sounded so incredible, if you just committed and you went into this spiral, the universe will conspire and all of the things will sort of happen. But people are going to say, but I did that. I went all in on this thing and nothing happened. Doors slammed in my face and I got rejected. So I'm curious what your answer is to that. Well, whenever you encounter resistance like that, you have an important choice because resistance is always going to come up, whatever it is. There's always going to be some impossible thing that comes up. And that's the nature of transformation is that that, that thing itself is the tool of your liberation whatever that barrier is that you encounter. So how you encounter that barrier determines whether you're going to be successful or not. Most people, I've worked with thousands of entrepreneurs, and most of them realize that they're not going to hit a home run every time, that it's often what they have to let go of and put their attention into something else. So a lot of times when you're beating up against a barrier, the message is not to beat harder, but to open up to what else is going on in the situation and go around the barrier or over the barrier or incorporate the barrier. Amazing. Tell us about your book that's coming out in a few months. Yes. It's called Conscious Luck, and it has to do with eight 
things that you can do in your life that actually increase your chances of good things happening, of luck happening. Uh, you probably, many of you have figured out by now, most of your listeners have figured out that luck is not always just a matter of luck, that there are things that certain people do or they do that opens up real new possibilities in their life. And so we've identified eight of them. So that's what this book is about. You, you've heard me touch on this thing a few minutes ago, though, about enlarging your capacity to receive. That's an important part of this, and that's going to be a big part of what we'll be addressing in the new book. What's one baby step we could take towards that one element? All right. Here would be a good one. To say one sentence about something that you want. Like, for example, let's say you want to manifest a new place to live. So to say one sentence about it, a positive sentence, like, I enjoy living in my new home. So say that out loud and notice what happens in your body right after you say it. Do you feel a clench of fear? Do you feel some excitement? Do you feel anger? Do you feel sadness? So begin to use your body and your mind in harmony with each other so that you're not just trying to manifest things from the mental level. If we use our whole body, our whole being, our minds and our body and our spirit, that way we're a powerful broadcasting beacon for what you want to manifest in the world. Hmm. As we're sort of summing up, you've worked with so many people, you've helped so many people. What still for you feels like the number one thing that gets in people's way? It's always some fear. It's always something that has been resisted in the past, something, some fear that they didn't want to look at before. And so when you make a bigger goal, you're always going to dial up the biggest fear you've got to manifesting that goal. So if you say to yourself, I'm willing to enjoy a brand new loving relationship in my life. When you get that relationship, things are going to come up. And it's how you deal with those things that de determines whether the relationship will flower or not. And so that's why, uh, you know, we give out a wrist brand at our trainings that says breathe, move, love on it. Because whenever you get stuck, you can always take a breath. <sighs> And you can always move your body and you can always love the thing that needs to be loved. It's loving the unlovable that makes your huge progress in life. And there's no better way to do that than come up with some big goals and then take some big leaps in that direction. You're incredible. What a gift. As people are signing off now, they're going to be hopefully going and getting this book because I'm telling you guys, you're going to devour every word. What's one thing we can do to break through our upper limit today? Very good. One thing that you can do is get in the habit of taking three easy breaths and changing your body position. The reason being that if you take three easy breaths, that's all is required to start changing your body chemistry. By taking three easy breaths, you shift out of stress and into ease. It's not going to keep you there, but if you occasionally will... Remember to take three easy breaths and change your body position a little bit. Take a little stretch. When I was a university professor, I used to get stuck in these long faculty meetings that were incredibly boring, and that saved me. I would just always be taking three easy breaths and moving my body a little bit. And People would say, why do you keep a smile on your face for an hour and a half of these horrible meetings? And I'll say, you don't really want to know. It's because I breathe. And, and for people who don't get it because they haven't lived the way you have for so long, what does that have to do with our upper limit? Because when you're upper limiting, you're afraid. And taking three easy breaths and moving your body position is the quickest way to chase fear out of your body. Wow. Amazing. Tell us where we can find you, find out more about your upcoming book, find out more about all of the work that you do and how we can work with you. Well, the good people at St. Martin's Press are bringing out my new book in the spring. Wonderful folks. So Conscious Luck will be out in the spring, and uh, we'll have another conversation about that then, I hope. Yeah. And if you want to uh, find more about us, you can go to Hendricks.com, H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S.com, or to our uh, nonprofit organization, the Foundation for Conscious Living, and that has its own uh, website. We'd love to uh, have you at one of our seminars and uh, come see us sometime. We're very nearby. I know, and I've wanted to. And you do workshops and stuff like that, right? Couples, yeah. but you also do other kinds of stuff. Yeah. Amazing.
Thank you so much. Blessings to you. Thanks for asking great questions. Oh, you're awesome. It was such a joy to sit with Gay Hendricks and, and talk with him. He is just such, such a human being. Okay, here are the takeaways. Number one, make a commitment to change your situation. When you commit, the universe reaccommodates itself for this new thing you want. Number two, we each have a spark within us. If we choose to nourish it, it can take us into a new version of our lives. Number three, instead of pointing at the world and saying, why are you doing this to me? Ask yourself, I wonder what I want and what I can really commit to being in my life. Number four, you're only one breath away from changing your life. Number five, be open and willing to learn from all of life. Number six, to find your genius, go in a room alone for 10 minutes, sit quietly and ask yourself over and over again, what is my genius? What do I love to do so much that it makes me lose track of time? Number seven, surface your butts, find out what butts are holding you back and get them out of the way. Number eight, say one sentence about something you want, say it out loud, notice how you feel in your body. And number nine, whenever you get stuck, take a breath, move your body and love the thing that needs to be loved. Just so powerful to talk to him. And I actually, for myself personally, after that conversation, I felt like I realized that part of my playing in my zone of excellence is sitting behind this computer doing this show, which I absolutely love. But as I've been doing more speaking events, I realized that when I'm speaking publicly, that is truly my zone of genius. When I'm leading an event, speaking at a book signing, hosting a retreat. So you just stay tuned because I'm going to be making sure I do a lot more of that. And you know, it was scary for me to make this trip to Nashville. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to upset my kids. I'm going to be going away for six days. And, you know, is that going to make them uneasy? Is it going to make me uneasy? And I remember when Evan Carmichael was here and he said, if you look at your calendar and there's nothing on your calendar in the next three weeks that makes your heart beat fast, that makes you feel a little scared, then you're not going to grow. And I just want to grow. And I know you do too. And it's so important for us to break through that upper limit because there's just so much more possible there's just so much here, you guys. Thank you so much for listening to this show week after week. I am so clear that you have a million things you could do with your time, and it means the world that you're here. Please be sure to subscribe wherever you listen because there's amazing episodes coming down the pipe. If you want to support us, the best thing you can do, a couple things. Number one, share the show with someone. Take a second right now and share this episode or another episode with someone that you believe in, someone you want to encourage because it really might change their life. Also, buy my book, and leave us a review wherever you buy it, Amazon or Barnes and Noble. You can also download it for free on Audible when you get their free trial. And I'd love you to hear the Audible version because I narrated it. I think that you'll really get a lot out of it. If you like podcasts, you'll probably like the Audible version. I love you guys so much. And I'll talk to you on Thursday. The podcast is a production of Authentic. For more info on advertising in this show, visit AuthenticShows.com. stronger